Special note, we have been publishing this series on the baptism with the Holy Ghost as it is written. Originally envisioned as a four-part series, it has now become five parts. We apologize for any confusion. May the face of the Lord shine upon you with light and truth. Prepare for the supernatural. This is feature number four in a five-part series on the baptism with the Holy Ghost. If you have not read or listened to parts one, two, and three, please stop and begin from the beginning in chronological order. To those of you who have not yet received the baptism with the Holy Ghost, as the saints did on the day of Pentecost, this can be your open door to kingdom living. To those who are not yet born again, most of this message will escape you with its beauty unattainable. Why not be born again today? Would you like to experience the best day of your life and find tomorrow even better? Would you like to know where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going? Would you like to have a magnificent purpose that's bigger than your supper plate and your clothes? Click on the Further with Jesus for immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Then go back and begin with Holy Ghost Part 1. Now for today's subject. God said, Mark chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. God said, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. God said, Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 47. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues, and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? God said, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Man said, speaking in tongues is a bunch of ungodly gibberish and supernatural manifestations of nearly any sort are not for today. The non-religious as well as the religious unbelievers deny its supernatural existence entirely. Now the record. 
The basic paradigm of God said, man said is found in the methodical certification of the supernatural word of God found in the majority text. The, ris- the rhythm excuse me, of this website is God said, then man said, and then the record and the results of man's disobedience, and in some rare cases, his obedience. God's word is certified to be true and righteous altogether over and over and over again. A marvelous proof of the supernatural testimony in the word of God is the baptism with the Holy Ghost, with the initial manifestation of speaking in a tongue unknown to the speaker. The academics are befuddled at this, as it is classified as a psychological phenomenon. Imagine, Estimates as high as 585 million function in and or endorse the supernatural Pentecostal charismatic experience. This is a God-said, man-said of the highest order. In light of the magnificent proofs of the word of God, carnaldom continues struggling to maintain their unbelief, lest their evil motivations and deeds be exposed to the light. The time surely approaches and has already arrived for many as it is written in the fearsome book of Revelation, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. Many religious leaders who reject the baptism with the Holy Ghost as received on the day of Pentecost claim that glossolalia, a Greek word that means talking in tongues, also occurs among idol worshippers and those engrossed in satanic cults. Their purpose is to associate the Pentecostal experience with the workings of the devil, persuading people from seeking this biblical experience. Many of these antagonists have gone so far as to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. May God have mercy on their souls. The idea that a supernatural positive occurrence such as glossolalia that happens among Christians when they are baptized with the Holy Ghost and that a similar negative occurrence could happen among the camp of evil should be no surprise to students of the scriptures. This is simply a demonstration of the 180 degree principle. I should note that I have no first-hand knowledge of speaking in tongues among Satan's camp. Think of the camp of righteousness and the camp of wickedness as opposite ends of a yardstick. The one-inch position represents God and 36, the devil. Like measures, just opposite ends of the yardstick. God is light, Satan is darkness. God is good, Satan is evil. God is joy, Satan is sorrow. God is life, Satan is death, just opposite ends of the yardstick. This is the 180-degree principle. When Moses and Aaron stand before Pharaoh, Moses instructs Aaron to cast down his rod and it turns into a serpent. Pharaoh's magicians, excuse me, do the same, yet God shows he is almighty as Aaron's rod swallows up the rods of the magicians. Many of the plagues God brings upon Egypt are duplicated by Pharaoh's magicians. Matthew chapter 8 verse 16 speaks of those who are possessed with devils, and the scriptures speak of those who are filled with God's spirit, like measure but simply opposite ends of the yardstick. This is the 180-degree principle. God is a spirit, and so is Satan. It should be no surprise that they function in like manner. But remember, they are always at the opposite ends of the yardstick. Question number eight. Do the baptism with the Holy Ghost and the nine gifts of the Spirit serve separate functions? The baptism with the Holy Ghost, with the initial manifestation of speaking in unknown tongues, is not exactly the same as the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which includes the gift of diverse kinds of tongues. They are of the Holy Spirit, but the direction of function tells the difference. 
In the second part of this presentation, Holy Ghost Part 2, we stated that the baptism with the Holy Ghost must be approached chronologically. We began in the Old Testament, then moved into the Gospels, the Book of Acts, Romans, and now 1 Corinthians, which was written about 30 years after the day of Pentecost. It must be remembered that in the New Testament, when Christians received the baptism with the Holy Ghost, and when detail is given, they always unanimously spoke in unknown tongues. Brother P Peter excuse me, recognizes this supernatural manifestation as the Pentecostal experience. When we arrive at the instructions in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, the believers being instructed are already baptized with the Holy Ghost and already speak in unknown tongues. But this is not the same thing as one of the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost called diverse kinds of tongues. After one receives the baptism with the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of nine specific gifts the Spirit of God gives to those who seek them. They are listed as follows. 1. The Word of Wisdom. 2. The Word of Knowledge. 3. Faith. 4. Gifts of Healing. 5. Working of Miracles. 6. Prophecy. 7. Discerning of Spirits. 8. Diverse Kinds of Tongues. 9. Interpretation of Tongues. My wife and I were born again November 8, 1970. Five days later, we were baptized with the Holy Ghost with the initial manifestation of speaking in new tongues. Several months later, I received the gift of diverse kinds of tongues. I was in a worship service where the Spirit of God came upon me in a very dramatic fashion. The unction to speak out for the edification of the congregation was heavy upon me. As I spoke in the unknown tongue, I was literally driven to my knees. The utterance was interpreted by another member of the congregation who had the gift of interpretation. The major difference between the baptism with the Holy Ghost and the gift of diverse kinds of tongues was twofold. One, the intensity, and two, the direction. The baptism with the Holy Ghost is the mighty comforter to the believer, and speaking in unknown tongues is for the Christian's own personal edification. These utterances are basically pointed inward. One of the nine gifts of the Spirit, diverse kinds of tongues, on the other hand, changes direction and is pointed outward to the congregation for the edification of the body, which requires the gift of interpretation to accomplish its end. Consider some of the other gifts. The gift of the word of wisdom is not the same thing as the common godly wisdom which we as believers all enjoy. This common wisdom is basically pointed inward for our own personal edification in ministry. The gift of the word of wisdom, conversely, is a magnification of that heavenly attribute and points outward to the ministry of the body of Christ at large. The gift of faith is not the exact same thing as the faith that dwells in and grows in all Christians. Our common faith is pointed inward for our own personal edification in ministry. The gift of faith, on the other hand, is a magnification of that spiritual attribute, and it will point outward toward the body of Christ. Most Christians who believe in the miraculous have experienced a healing in their life. They've had hands laid upon them according to Mark 16 and James 5, or they personally called upon the Lord or agreed with another believer for God's healing hand. These healings are for one's personal edification and are pointed inward. The gift of healing, on the other hand, is a magnification of this supernatural occurrence and points outward for the purpose of ministering to the body of Christ. All nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are magnifications of spiritual attributes or abilities, and they point outward to the body of Christ, 
for its edification. Some erroneously challenge the baptism with the Holy Ghost and the speaking in tongues experience, asserting that it is not for everyone, and citing 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, it reads, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. This passage refers to various supernatural gifts given by Christ for the purpose of ministering to the body of Christ. This passage is not referring to the common supernatural attributes that all Christians enjoy for their own personal edification, but the passage is referring to the ministry gifts, a magnification of power pointed at the congregation as a whole. The baptism with the Holy Ghost and speaking with new tongues cannot be equated with diverse kinds of tongues, one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which must function in league with another of the nine gifts, interpretation of tongues. The answer to question eight is that the baptism with the Holy Ghost and the nine gifts of the Spirit do serve separate functions. Question number nine. Is speaking with new tongues a phenomenon that began in 1906? Is that which is perfect already come? 1 Corinthians 13.10 Christians speaking in a new tongue is not a phenomenon that began in 1906. Speaking in the unknown tongue began on the day of Pentecost and continues this very day. Unfortunately for those who relegate the miraculous to the days of the initial apostles for the purpose of establishing the church, history is replete with the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Ghost functioning in this world through the ministry of the body of Christ. Stanley Burgess, a professor of religious studies at Southwest Missouri State University, and Gary McGee, a professor of church history, at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, wrote the 2002 publication titled Dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic Movements, a huge body of scholarly contributors aided in their efforts. Burgess and McKee uh, list a historic timeline certifying that the Pentecostal experience with signs following was present throughout the ages. It also shows that the miraculous did not end with the original apostles. Concerning the 3rd century is the following excerpt. Origin of Alexandria says, Healing, exorcisms, and validating signs and wonders continue to be experienced in the church. Just as, excuse me, just as miracles and wonders added to the credibility of 1st century apostles, so they continue to draw unbelievers into the Christian fold. According to Burgess and McKee, it is wrong to conclude that glossolalia, speaking in tongues, did not occur between the 1st and 20th centuries. The following paragraph is in regard to the 4th century. Hilary of Poitiers, 4th century. Hilary had well-developed understanding of what Pentecostals and Charismatics call life in the Spirit. The Spirit sanctifies and enlightens the believer. The Holy Spirit is God's great gift to His church. In turn, various Spirit gifts are given for edification. But in order to make full use of the great gift of the Spirit, it is essential to exercise his karamata. From Hillary's writings, it is quite apparent that these were functioning in the church of his day. 
Hillary writes that the spirit of the grace was revealed in the contemporary St. Honoratus through his prayers, his fruit, and his charismatic gifts. It is the heretics and unbelievers who lack the spirit and consequently are led into error. Another excerpt from Burgess and McKee concerning the 14th century follows. Gregory Palamas, 1296-1359, raised in a noble family close to the court of the Byzantine emperor. The edifying gift of the Holy Ghost is a mysterious light which transforms into light or transfigures those who receive it, uh, those who receive its richness so that they shine like the sun. The human mind that is overshadowed by the energy of the Holy Spirit is driven upward by the spirit of wisdom and becomes itself entirely radiant. The saints are, as a consequence, become instruments of the Holy Spirit, having received the same energy as he has. As proof of this, Palamas cited such graces as the gifts of healing, miracles, foreknowledge, irrefutable wisdom, diverse tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the word of instruction is operating at times of intense mental prayer and even on occasion without prayer. Palamas lays particular emphasis on the practice of Paul's laying on of hands for receiving such gifts. Through the uh, concentration of the intellect during prayer, a person may also experience ecstasy, a condition in which, a condition in which human powers are elevated above their natural state so that the individual receives a vision of divine light and is received into that light. All mental activity ceases, and union with God occurs. End of quote. George Barton Cutton, the president of Colgate University, author, uh, authored a book excuse me, titled Speaking with Tongues, which was published by New Haven Yale University Press in 1927. The following passages are from that book. Many isolated examples of speaking with tongues might be given, extending down through the ages, but to show that it is still a common phenomenon experienced in this century only will be discussed in this chapter. This will be in no wise an exhaustive list, but only a few incidents of many, uh, simply as an indication of the present belief in this expression of spiritual power. In most cases, the appearance of speaking with tongues has been connected with revival experiences or some other circumstances of a highly emotional character. At the beginning of this century, there was a religious revival which nearly encircled the globe. It began in 1901 in Australia, was reported to England where similar experiences were sought, and in mission circles of India, a determined effort was made to duplicate the Australian revival. In 1904 came the Welsh Revival, in which the excess of emotion was discharged mostly by signing, but which had an important influence on the Welsh missions of India, and some impressive examples of speaking with tongues were reported from the last-named country. The revival in Wales produced some examples of speaking with tongues. The following paragraph from the Yorkshire Post of December 27, 1904, is of interest in this connection. Now comes the remarkable. In a sense, the most remarkable feature of the present revival. These young Welshmen and Welsh women, who know little or no Welsh, and who certainly cannot carry on a sustained conversation in their parents' tongue, and who are supposed to have derived little or no benefit from the Welsh services, now under the influence of the revival voluntarily take part in public prayer, but the language employed is almost invariably not the familiar English, but the unknown or supposed to be unknown Welsh biblical phrases and the peculiar idiomatic expression connected with the Welsh prayer, 
which they never used before, and which they were supposed hitherto not to be able to understand, trip off their tongues with an ease and an aptness which might be supposed to indicate long and familiar usage. It is true, these, as spoken, bear the unmistakable stamp of the English accent, but they also bear the equally unmistakable stamp of intelligent familiarity in their use. How is this to be accounted for? How can we explain the fact that a youth or maiden who cannot speak a dozen words in Welsh in ordinary conversation can nevertheless engage for five or ten minutes in public prayer in idiomatic Welsh? End of quote. Question nine is a two-part question with the latter part stated as follows. Is that which is perfect already come? That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. Some argue against the Pentecostal experience, pointing to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Their claim is that we no longer need the gifts of the Spirit, because that which is perfect has already come. They are referring to the Genesis to Revelation Bible. Of course the Scriptures are perfect. But our understanding of all that is written in the word of God is not. The passage is not speaking of the scriptures, but rather eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus. God's word teaches that when we see Christ, we shall be as he is. First John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be one with the Father through Christ Jesus our Lord, and only at that juncture will we know as we are known. I once asked a man if he knew everything, the way God knew him from the very hairs of his head, the image in every neuron to his end from his beginning, etc. Of course he said, no. But one day when we see Jesus face to face, we will. As a point of note in 1 Corinthians thirteen eighteen, it says that prophecies, tongues, and knowledge shall end. Even most dispensationalists do not claim that prophecy and knowledge have ended. By the way, in the very next chapter, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians fourteen eighteen, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Concerning question 9, part 1, the baptism with the Holy Ghost and speaking in new tongues did not begin in 1906, and part 2, that which is perfect is yet to come. A recap of questions and answers 1 through 9 follows. Question 1. What is the very first commandment that Jesus Christ gives to his infant church? Answer. The last words of Jesus and the first commandment to the infant church were to tarry until they received the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Question 2. Are people automatically baptized with the Holy Ghost the day they are saved? Answer. The baptism with the Holy Ghost is a separate and distinct supernatural occurrence that follows the born-again experience. Question 3. How did the saints of old get baptized with the Holy Ghost? Answer. When the saints of old received the baptism with the Holy Ghost, they spoke in unknown tongues. Question 4. How did the apostles recognize one who was baptized with the Holy Ghost? Answer. The manifestation recognized by Peter at Cornelius' house 
indicating that the people, in fact, had received the baptism with the Holy Ghost, is that he heard them speak with tongues. Question five, what is the purpose of the baptism with the Holy Ghost? Answer, four foundational functions of the Holy Ghost are as follows. Supernatural teacher, supernatural memory, supernatural power, and supernatural prayer life. Question six, do Christians get baptized with the Holy Ghost today? Answer, Yes, Christians do get baptized with the Holy Ghost today, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. Worldwide, estimates of those who are part of the Pentecostal charismatic movement range from a low of 130 million to more than 580 million. Question 7. Were the baptism of the Holy Ghost, gifts of the Spirit, and miracles only for the days of the apostles? Answer. The baptism with the Holy Ghost with signs following is for today. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Question 8. Do the baptism with the Holy Ghost and nine gifts of the Spirit serve separate functions? Answer. The baptism with the Holy Ghost and the nine gifts of the Spirit do serve separate functions. Question 9. Is speaking with new tongues a phenomenon that began in 1906? Is that which is perfect already come? Answer. The baptism with the Holy Ghost and glossolalia did not begin in 1906, and that which is perfect is yet to come. In the next issue, God willing, will be the answer to question 10. Be free to believe.